Welcome to Tuesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com, the mobile app, and most podcast platforms. He's Jeff Fiegels. I'm Lance Meadow with you for the next 60 minutes as we'll discuss some of the latest headlines connected to the Giants and across the NFL. Later on, we'll cover how the Giants will navigate training camp and a notable quarterback contract. We'll also answer several of your submitted questions, so stay tuned for that. But we start by continuing our opponent team previews. The Giants will host the Arizona Cardinals on December 13th in Week 14 at MetLife Stadium. It will be the second straight season these teams square off in East Rutherford, New Jersey, as the Cardinals beat the Giants in 2019, 27-21 in Week 7. Last season, Arizona went 5-10-1 and finished in last place in the NFC West. To break down the Cardinals and what to expect from them in 2020, we're now joined by Darren Urban, senior writer for azcardinals.com, who has covered the team for over two decades. Darren, you got Lance Meadow and Jeff Fiegels here on Giants.com, Big Blue Kickoff Live. Greatly appreciate the time today. Hope you and yours are safe and healthy. How's everything on your end? Well, I am living in Arizona, so uh, where it stands right now is, is not uh, great in terms of the coronavirus, but uh, otherwise than that, the family's doing good. Everything seems to be moving forward and uh, keeping my fingers crossed about an NFL season. Absolutely. I think we are all in the same boat there. <laughs> So let's start with the quarterback position, Darren, and it goes without saying, Kyler Murray, very impressive last season, but he had a shortened offseason because normally rookies are preparing for the draft the entire offseason leading into the year, and then I'm sure he came into this year thinking, okay, I'm finally going to have a conventional offseason where I'll be with the coaching staff and be with my teammates, and unfortunately, the coronavirus had other ideas. So how concerning is that as he enters year two that he still hasn't yet had a full offseason and how much do you think maybe the continuity on offense with Cliff Kingsbury can help offset that to begin with uh, you know the the missing offseason obviously hurts him I mean you had a chance to, to to hunker down with Cliff in person and then get the work done on the field the, the one good thing obviously that he and, and any player is going to have is you still had meetings uh, you still were meeting, uh, talking with coaches, and Cliff Kingsbury has held all along that uh, Kyler has shown uh, a lot of moving forward mentally with what, with where they were at meetings. Now, you, you don't get to prove it on the field, and, and that's an issue, but uh, for what they were able to get done, there's been a lot of positivity there, and even Kyler said uh, that he felt like you know, could he, could he have gotten better with some on-field work during this offseason? Sure he could have, but he feels like he did make big strides in, in what he was able to do virtually. And the other thing to remember with, with Kyler is, is, you know, he started every game. He was out there every game. And, uh, you know, having done this for so long, yes, you get something out of the offseason. I don't think there's any question about that. But nothing replaces actual regular, game, uh, regular season game experience. And he did have that. So... I do feel like he's in a pretty good place considering uh, everything he went through in 2019. And I don't think at this point there's any reason to believe that he can't make that jump that a lot of people are expecting him to make. That doesn't mean he will, uh, but I don't think that the lack of on-field work necessarily undercuts that. Darren, let me ask you a question. So, you know, any time you want to have success at the quarterback position, uh, whether you're young, old, or medium, if you will, you got to have your offensive line in front of you, you know, there to help protect you and to get that running game going. 
know, last year it looked the Giants, or excuse me, the Arizona Cardinals offense struggled a little bit at the offensive line position. He had a lot of a lot of injuries going on there, and of course that impacted his play. I think uh, throughout the season last year. Tell me a little bit about what do you see coming up with the Cardinals offensive line play this year. Um, are they going to have struggles on the interior or the outside, or do you think that they'll they'll kind of bounce back and have a have a good season this year? I don't I don't think Jeff. There's any question that there's there's going to be eyeballs on that line, but I I do feel like um, I, I do feel like the national perspective on where this line is and where, quite frankly, it is when I look at it on a daily basis up close and personal. Uh, I don't know if they necessarily match up. Is it one of the best offensive lines in the league? No one's going to say that. I don't even think they're going to step up and say that. But um, some of the issues that they had last year, some of that was Kyler Murray. I, you know, they did take a lot of sacks, especially earlier in the season. And that a lot of that was Kyler Murray just not knowing when to throw the ball away, not knowing when to stay in the pocket, getting a little antsy as a rookie quarterback happens to do. Uh, part of that was Cliff Kingsbury's offense. When they came into the year last year, um, he was – he was insistent on, you know, doing the four wide kind of thing and, and doing a lot of the things he'd done in college. And when that didn't really work the way he wanted and when it was understood that the personnel that he had on offense wasn't really going to fit what he wanted to do, he morphed. And uh, they ran the ball a little bit better. They ended up averaging five yards a carry last year. Now, mm-hmm. part of that was Kenyon Drake coming in, but part of that was an offensive line that got better as the season went on. And they're fortunate enough that they have a lot of, continuity there they, they are changing out their center uh aq shipley hasn't come back and they're going to try and mason cole there a third year guy uh at center but they're going to have some stability there in terms of guys returning and they feel like if they can stay healthy um they'll be just fine on the offensive line again i don't think anybody's going to be saying that they're one of the best in the league but i don't think they feel like it's as much of an issue as a lot of people like to say Darren, as far as the right tackle position is concerned, they've got Marcus Gilbert from the Steelers, but he dealt with knee injuries each of the last two seasons in which he went on IR, and they drafted Josh Jones, third rounder out of Houston. How do you see that position in particular playing out? I think that's very interesting. I mean, we've already talked about the missing on-field work. That's going to kill a lot of rookies around this league, and I don't think uh, I don't think Josh Jones at right tackle would be any different i he might have had an uphill battle getting into the starting lineup week one as it was and now i I think that's going to be really really tough considering he hasn't even put on a helmet yet and the fact that they did bring back marcus gilbert who tore his acl literally the thursday before the regular season opener and at that point they considered him having a fantastic camp and he was playing really well um they put in justin murray who had a lot of bumps uh, but did improve as the season went on, and he is back. So they have some options there. Um, if I had to lay bet right now, I think as long as Marcus Gilbert is healthy, he's got a good chance to be the starter to begin with. But we'll kind of see where that goes. There's no question they, they like the future of Jones. Uh, they feel like Justin Murray could be a nice swing tackle as a reserve. Um, they do have some things to figure out, but they do at least have some pieces to to work with it's not like there's a big donut hole there that, that they don't know what they're going to do well i'd like to touch on a little bit of free agent acquisition the cardinals got this year which uh, i believe that you know one of deandre hopkins that's that's quite the player to come over and uh, when you have larry fitzgerald and and christian kirk your three wide receivers i gotta believe that kyler murray's got to be pretty excited about throwing the ball to deandre hopkins they clearly 
we're in a place, with all due respect to, to Fitz, who is still incredibly productive uh, as he goes into year 17, but he's not the guy he was in 2008 and 2009, uh, and they needed a, a guy who could really threaten defenses, and I think that just changes the whole offense. Uh, between that and keeping Kenyon Drake around, you know, who again came in at midseason last year and fit so perfectly with what they were trying to do on offense and what with, in the backfield with Kyler Murray. So uh, they feel like weapons-wise, they're in such a better place than they were uh, going into last season. And uh, obviously Hopkins, one of the best receivers in the league, it changes the whole structure of what you have at wide receiver. Um, you know, if, if you got Larry Fitzgerald still doing what he's doing, Christian Kirk, I mean, if Christian Kirk's your third guy, assuming he can stay healthy, uh, that's a pretty impressive third receiver. He's, he's been right on the precipice of, of doing some nice things the last couple of years, and then he gets hurt. Uh, so they got to keep him on the field. But those having those top three guys with Drake in the backfield, it's going to be very difficult for defenses to make decisions, whether it's, you know, if you do some kind of zone read with Drake and, and could Kyler Murray keep the ball or you have those receivers. Uh, that's, a, that's a lot of things to account for at this point. We're talking with Darren Urban, senior writer for azcardinals.com as we look forward to the Giants-Cardinals matchup coming up in week 14 this season at MetLife Stadium. And sticking with the wide receiver core, I think, Darren, when you look at DeAndre Hopkins' time with the Texans, he was surrounded by plenty of other wideouts. He still dominated the targets, and unfortunately those guys struggled to stay healthy. And it's interesting, you brought up Christian Kirk, who also has had to deal with the injury bug in the early stages of his career. How do you see the spread of wealth perhaps playing out in the receiving core? Is Hopkins coming in now as the main guy? Or do you think within Cliff Kingsbury's system, they're going to use Hopkins to maybe open things up more for that young nucleus surrounding him? I think that's a great question. Um, I, I mean, I think naturally DeAndre Hopkins is going to get a lot of targets um, because of how good he is. But I don't think it's any kind of guarantee that all of a sudden he's going to get, you know, 60% or 70% of them when you have all these other weapons. And I think one of the things Kyler Murray was showing last year was um, he doesn't necessarily fall in love with, with just one receiver. I mean, early in the year last year, uh, Larry Fitzgerald was getting a bunch of targets and he had some really good games earlier uh, at that point. And then Christian Kirk ended up getting a bunch of targets later, uh, you know, even though he was banged up playing basically through an ankle injury all year. Um, he ended up, I think he missed three games and Fitz didn't miss any, and he still ended up with only one less target than Fitz. So I, I think there's a chance that it's going to get spread around. Um, I think if you've got a guy like Hopkins, you don't want to forget that how good he is, and you don't want to lose sight of you know getting the ball to your best players. But again, when you're in a situation where if you've got three wides on the field and Kenyon Drake and the ball is snapped in that shotgun, and you know Kyler Murray does a play action to Kenyon Drake, I mean, where are you going to focus on as a defense? Is it is it going to be Hopkins? And that's fine if it is, because then you've got. You know, Kirk maybe going down the sidelines or Fitz, you know, coming underneath or whatever it might be. And, and the fact that you just add somebody that the defense has to pay attention to, that alone is going to make you better. And, and how it all filters out in terms of actual distribution of the ball, I, I think we're going to have to see how that plays out. Well, Darren, talking about uh, the defense, you know, the Cardinals defense, they had a, a kind of a major problem last year where the Giants have had 
for the last 10 years, and that would be covering inability to cover tight ends. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, Lance, I know you're laughing at me with that because we've seen this over the years with the Giants having the same problem. But, you know, the Cardinals went out and spent their number eight overall pick with Isaiah Simmons, which I guess, uh, you know, I guess that's going to pretty much solve that problem, um, hopefully, because the guy is an outstanding athlete. He's all over the place. Uh, he figures to start next to Jordan Hicks. And then, you know, what's kind of funny about this is I see that he's also listed on the depth chart that I'm looking at as the backup strong safety, which we know he can play both those positions. Tell me a little bit about what you know about Isaiah Simmons and kind of what everybody's thinking about there out in the desert about him. Uh, you know, Jeff, it's funny because I, I think one of the things that really stinks about this whole, out of the many things that stink about this whole COVID thing and, and the loss of the offseason is I would have loved to been able to go out and watch a bunch of these OTAs and see exactly what they were going to do with Isaiah Simmons. Yeah. There was a lot of talk, you know, early about, and, and I think this is where it's going to go. I mean, he's, he's listed as an inside linebacker, and I don't think they want to overwhelm him with stuff. And the fact he hasn't gotten any on-field work, you know, it, sh- it shortens that time to work on that learning curve. So I don't know how many different things he's actually going to do right out of the box because they're just not they're not going to have enough time to ramp him up. But, um, you know, I, I agree. I think he's a guy that can be the dude who covers the, covers the tight end. I think you can put him in a lot of different spaces. It gives them a lot of different options uh, in terms of, you know, hey, do we, uh, in some sub-packages, might we have three safeties out there with him as a safety and or might we rush him off the edge once in a while with uh, Chandler Jones on the other side or, or have him blitz from inside. I mean, they, they've got a lot of choices. Now, what how, how it's going to work, especially those first the first half of the season maybe, um, I think is really going to be tough to uh, prognosticate just because he has not even, you know, been on the field once with these guys and he's got to learn the NFL game and I don't think they want to overwhelm him with all these different things. He he was fantastic in college about learning all these different positions on a weekly basis and doing all these things, but as we all know, trying to do that in college and doing that in the NFL level is a whole different deal. Yeah, I think that's a great point, Darren. He played five different positions in college at Clemson, 100 snaps at each of those positions, and it doesn't mean that that's going to transfer over. It's funny because I feel like Jeff and I are reliving all the conversations we had with Giants fans leading up to the draft because it was the same debate, Darren, in terms of if the Giants were to take him, where would you put him, where would you play him, and if you don't have a full offseason, what would it mean? So I'm sure you pretty much dealt with similar subjects so far over the last few months. It, it, It is funny, you know... I, it, it seemed to me, and I was one of those people that said I I was really hoping Isaiah Simmons was going to follow the Cardinals, and for a long time I didn't think there was any way that was humanly possible. Uh, but, yeah, losing that offseason, I mean, with any of these rookies, like we mentioned before with the tackle Josh Jones, I mean, everybody raved about that being a third-round pick for the Cardinals, and that's great, but when you take away the, any ability to ramp up, uh, it really kind of undercuts what they can do at least – in this first year. And I, I know the, the one thing the Cardinals do have is before the draft happened, they did a nice job uh, attempting to fill all their holes on defense through free agency and that kind of stuff. So they had already signed Devondre Campbell, who was a former Falcon, to play that other inside linebacker next to Jordan Hicks and that, because they didn't know if they were going to get Isaiah Simmons. Now, now they're going to have to do some juggling. Uh, you know, what do you do with Campbell? You know, Mike Hicks, who played every snap last year, 
all season on defense, does he maybe come off the field once in a while so you get uh, a little bit more athletic with Campbell and Simmons in, in some packages? Or, you know, does Simmons even start right away? I, I, I think they've got some options. And given where they were last year at inside linebacker, which was Jordan Hicks and then a lot of trouble, uh, I think they'll be much happier having to make decisions on who to put on the field now. Well, you guys also acquired, uh, you know, Devon Kennard, who was with the Giants. Obviously, uh, I actually played with his father when I was with the Giants, or with the Cardinals, believe it or not. That's how long ago that was. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but, uh, you know, so he'll, I, he's actually, you know, he's a, he's a solid player, a guy that's had seven sacks the last couple of years. So, you know, that's what you're going to get out of Kennard. He's a guy that's around the football, and he's a tough guy. He's a really good player. Um, you know, speaking of dominant players, we must talk about Patrick Peterson. I mean, obviously, he missed the start of the 2019 season because he was suspended. How great was it for the Giants to have him back last season? And what's his you know, prognosis for this coming year? Well, I mean, it was a weird year last year for Patrick Peterson because of the suspension. Uh, and, you know, he, he just he didn't fit right with the defense when he first came back. He made an up, a couple nice plays. That, that game in New York against the Giants was actually his first game back. Uh, he made the play at the end of the game to help seal it, and he was feeling better about it. But for the most part, uh, you know, he ended up playing ten games. Those probably those first six were not good. Uh, they weren't good for him, and they weren't really good. Period. Uh, and there was a there was quite frankly some concern there. Um, but once he started working better with what Vance Joseph was trying to do. Uh, and once he kind of got his feet underneath him, the last month of the season, Patrick Peterson started looking like Patrick Peterson, and uh, they need him. I mean, for all the changes they made on defense, and I've said this before uh, on other platforms, uh, this team is going to go defensively as far as Patrick Peterson and Chandler Jones play. If Chandler Jones is the pass rusher he's been the last few years, and he's been excellent, um, they're going to be in good shape there. And Patrick Peterson on the back end, they need him to be the guy that he's always been. And he's going into the last year of his contract, so there's a lot of motivation there. We're talking with Darren Urban, senior writer, azcardinals.com. And Darren, I'm glad you brought up Chandler Jones, because when you look at the stats, as you mentioned, Jones has been a dominant force in terms of getting after the quarterback. I think my big question when I look at Arizona's front seven is, well, where is the sack production going to come outside of Chandler Jones? Last year, they had Terrell Suggs for a little bit. He then parted ways with the team, ultimately won a Super Bowl with Kansas City. So who do you see perhaps being that complementary threat or maybe the Robin to the Batman role that Chandler Jones is going to take on? I, I don't... I, it, there's a very good chance that you're going to look at that a little bit more as committee. I mean, obviously, Jeff already mentioned Devon Kennard. Um, who's not a guy you're expecting to get double-digit sacks out of, but um, I think he can be a solid guy on the other side most of the time. And if you you, you want to put Isaiah Simmons maybe in certain situations there uh, to kind of come off the edge, not all the time. I mean, obviously he's not built like a normal outside linebacker. It would have to be certain situations, but you got that opportunity. They've got Hassan Reddick, uh, the former first-round pick who – Never quite worked out at an inside linebacker, and they decided late last year to put him back outside. He's undersized, quite frankly, for that role, but he is a natural pass rusher, and he did show some flashes uh, in some uh, packages in that way last year. So um, I don't think there's any great answer 
um, in terms of who's necessarily you're going to just plop on the other side. It's not like when they had Marcus Golden on the other side from Chandler Jones. And um, I know there was a while there where the fan base here was really hoping Marcus would come back to Arizona and kind of be that guy. But um, so I, I think they're hoping that that will help. And I think that the fact that they added Jordan Phillips uh, inside uh, who had nine sacks last year for the Bills to maybe push the pocket on the inside, I, I think they're hoping that uh, can help the pass rush in some regard. Darren, it's interesting you brought up Marcus Golden because he clearly is still a free agent and the Giants gave him that unrestricted free agent tender. So July 28th is pretty much the deadline perhaps for him to sign with another team or else he could very well return to the Giants. And I know he wasn't with the Cardinals last year, but you were at the Giants game. You saw he had a career year. How surprised are you that maybe there wasn't as much interest generated on the free agent market considering how he's fought so hard upon his return from that torn ACL? Well, I mean, full disclosure, uh, I consider Marcus uh, a friend. He's a, he's a good dude. I really enjoyed his time here. I hated to see him go. Um, you know, he's a guy that was really hoping to get a big deal here, and then the, the knee injury kind of messed that possibility up and when he went out there I don't obviously the the landscape wasn't what he was hoping for because I know he didn't get what he wanted when he went to the Giants um and and even now I'm sure he keeps waiting for this big pass rush deal that for whatever reason isn't materializing as we've seen there's a lot of veteran pass rushers in fact that aren't just aren't getting the the money that they were expecting this offseason so you know I Marcus Golden is one of those guys, you know, when you look at him, you look how he is physically. He's not a guy who you're ever thinking his ceiling is Chandler Jones, 20 sacks guy. Um, But he is going to work tremendously hard. He's good in the locker room. Um, You know, I'm sure he's disappointed, but to me, Marcus Golden helps whatever team he's going to be on. And, uh, you know, wherever he lands, I don't really have any question that he's going to be successful as long as he stays healthy. Darren, last one for me in terms of special teams, and I feel as if that's a facet, and and Jeff certainly will be the last person to downplay that position considering he contributed to that his entire career, but sometimes it is somewhat overlooked, and you look at the Cardinals, Zane Gonzalez, their kicker, had a career year last year, and a lot of the young receivers we talked about are very dangerous as return men, especially Andy Isabella, who flourished in that department last season. How good do the Cardinals feel about what they bring back on special teams, how much do you think that may be an asset that is overlooked a little bit? Well, I mean, I think kicker and punter, they're really solid. I mean, Zane Gonzalez was a guy that had a very rough start to his career um, in Cleveland before he ended up coming to Arizona, coming back to a place where he had tremendous success in college at Arizona State. And he was he was nails last year. And, and I think, you know, he's a guy that, uh, you know, they can have around here for a number of years uh, if it works out correctly. And their punter is Andy Lee, who, you know, again, he came into the league same time as Larry Fitzgerald. They were teammates at Pitt. Uh, so he's going into a 17th season, and he's had two of his best seasons ever these last two years. So um, they're set in that regard. Now, the, the other stuff, the return stuff, it's, it gets a little more dicey uh, in terms of, of knowing that stuff. And, again, that's one of those things where I wish – there would have been some off-season work to watch to see where they were working back there, who they might want to, you know, stick as like a punt returner. Christian Kirk is a good punt returner, but in 
before, especially with the injuries, you don't necessarily want to risk him back there, but I don't know what other options they might have. I think there's a lot of questions for them right now in terms of who the return guys might be. Well, you know what? When you're a young team and you're kind of you know building up, you always want to kind of secure and have good specialists. I think the Cardinals do. Uh, when you guys came up here last year, I got to visit with Andy Lee and Zane a little bit before the game, and you know they seem to be very very confident in what they do. They're obviously veterans, so you know, and you know you always think if you can win one third of those of the game, you know, special teams being that, you got a chance. Uh, so yep. it sounds to me like the the Cardinals know what they got to do there, and. It, and it sounds like they have some, you know, really good specialists other than, you know, punt returners. That It's funny because, you know, there used to be, it used to be hard to find a punt returner that was really, really good. It just, just seemed like nowadays you can just try to punch, you can plug in anybody there and they can <laughs> catch it in. But, you know, you really don't know how good you have it until one of their, one of your dynamic returners leaves your team or you see another team that has one. Um, certainly we're in that, we're in that case here with the Giants. We would love to see to have one of those dynamic punt returners if you could, you know. So they it play just a big changes, part of the game. changes everything. It changes yeah, everything absolutely. if you've got a good guy. Yep, yep, you really do. And, and you know, they just, yeah, the guys like Deshaun Jacksons of the world, you know, those guys are so dangerous in the return game. And if you got a good one, you can go a long ways with winning some football games. Yep. He is Darren Urban, covers the Arizona Cardinals. He's been covering the team for over two decades, senior writer for azcardinals.com. Yeah, he goes back way in the day, Jeff. (laughs) Something you can relate to in the desert, Jeff. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, listen, I'm glad I'm not in the desert today. My family's all still back there, so I get get reports about how hot it is going to be there. So, yeah, we're definitely in that part of the year. Yeah, that's it, right. Well, listen, we understand what everybody's going through. Uh, down there in the Phoenix area, and we hope that, uh, you know, Darren, you can stay healthy and, and keep yourself and you and your family uh, safe, and, and we appreciate you coming on with us today. Well, thanks for having me, and uh, you guys stay safe, too, and hopefully uh, hopefully, I'll get to see you guys later this season. Sounds like a plan. Our pleasure. Darren Urban joining us. Darren, once again, thanks so much for joining us, and look forward to interacting with you down the road. Thanks, right, Darren. Thanks. Thanks again to senior writer of azcardinals.com, Darren Urban, for joining us and breaking down Arizona, what to expect from them in 2020. And Jeff, as we do after each and every one of these opponent team previews, let's give our take on the Arizona Cardinals. And Mm -hmm. this is a very intriguing team, Jeff, to me. Because if you were to ask me what team, even with a shortened offseason, has the opportunity to really pull off a 180, I like the Cardinals' chances. I think, first of all, the NFC West is extremely deep, but let's face it, Kyler Murray had an impressive rookie campaign. They brought in DeAndre Hopkins. Their defense has a lot of good playmakers. This Mm -hmm. has a team written all over it, Jeff, that could do a lot of damage and give teams headaches throughout this season. Yeah, you know, and Darren, he didn't talk a lot about Kenyon Drake. I I think that that's 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 a player that... You know, you get all he's been overshadowed by DeAndre Hopkins, but, you know, he came there last year and played well. Um, And really, I mean, he's he's a guy that can really, really help them. And offensively, yeah, I think that, you know, their coach, Cliff Kingsbury, is a guy that just is probably so excited with having a lot of these playmakers there, especially a guy that can stretch the field in DeAndre Hopkins. So that's that's interesting. And even Christian Kirk, if he can stay healthy. Um, you know, offensively, I think when we talked about the offensive line, I think that's something that's going to have to improve. Um, I think that every team tries to do it. But as we both know, Lance, it is not that easy to just have that <laughs> chemistry e- immediately with them. So, you know, but on the defensive side, uh, listen, I mean, you've got one of the better players in the in the NFL and Patrick Peterson, who's coming back and had a 
a good, I guess, the last four games of the season, if you will. And then, of course, when you have Chandler Jones, uh, that's a good thing. That really is. And then the guy that we all were, you know, enamored about and was wondering if the Giants were going to draft him and Isaiah Simmons, a guy that can play multiple positions. But it sounds to me like what Darren is talking about is that they're trying to maybe uh, really concentrate on him on just learning one position and if they have to. I thought it was very interesting. I asked him because on the rlads.com, I'll give them credit for the roster that I look at. I think you look at the same one most yeah, of the, the time, Yeah, the depth too. chart that they have, very extensive. They're very updated, and, and, it's, and I found it ironic that they do have Isaiah Simmons, number 48, listed as the second-team strong safety <laughs> on here, which I thought was really crazy. And, you know, this asking him the question is just – so that's where we're at there. And, you know, Devin Kennard's a guy that we know. Uh, he's going to be your sack guy, and whether he'll have double digits, I doubt it, but he's a guy that can put pressure on the quarterback. So, yeah, this is a team that's very well-balanced, special teams. they got good specialists, and, um, you know, that division is a tough one, but I feel like uh, if you got a Kyler Murray coming into his second year, you just hope he doesn't have a sophomore slump like some of these guys do, but, you know, you count on that team to be pretty competitive. Well, I think the good news for Murray versus Baker Mayfield who I think you may have been somewhat alluding to with the sophomore mm-hmm. slump. Clearly, he struggled last season. The good news for Murray, unlike Baker, is more continuity, Jeff, on the offensive side of the ball. Cliff Kingsbury, he hasn't changed. Yeah. His offense is still in place. So the voices that Murray's working with are similar, whereas Baker, remember, he had a variety of different coaches and coordinators year one, then Freddie Kitchens takes over. Mm-hmm. A lot of movement around him. So yeah. I think that bodes better for Kyler Murray and you know based on all the personnel that you listed and you know listening to all those names people in Arizona should be excited because Mm -hmm. if everything works out where the injury bug doesn't get in the way of this team and we never know how that's going to play out of course Jeff but we always have to assume that you're going into a season and guys are going to at least do everything they can to stay healthy the only thing that then I see holding this team back this year to your point is if Murray does struggle in his second year or the defense just doesn't get the production out of at least the proven commodities that we're used to seeing. For example, Chandler Jones is the type of guy, Jeff, you pencil in 12 to 15 sacks every season without any hesitation. Mm -hmm. And I know you mentioned the youth of Isaiah Simmons, but Patrick Peterson has been pretty much consistent throughout the course of his career. They also have a lot of other guys that I think are starting to come into their own in that secondary. Buda Baker. Oh, yeah. Uh, he was yeah. a second-round pick in 2017. Jalen Thompson, another safety. He's going to be entering year two. Jordan Hicks is a guy we didn't mention, the linebacker, formerly mm-hmm. the Eagles. He's been a staple of Philly's defense and Arizona's defense. So, you know, if these guys can stay healthy and click, I really like this team's chances of maybe not necessarily winning the division, of course, because you got San Francisco and Seattle, but with seven teams in each conference competing for the playoff spots, mm-hmm. could they be in the wild card conversation? Yeah, Jeff, I don't it, think that's crazy. It's not. And if I look at when I look at this depth chart, there's only two players that are listed as as rookies uh, that are starters on the offense and the defense combined. That's Parker Houston, who's a fullback that they was a college free agent in this year. Um, so, but they're just listing him as a starter, and then the other one is Isaiah Simmons. The rest of the the rest of the roster here for starters on offense and defense are all returning. They're all they're all they're Continuity. all veterans. Yeah, so that's that's that bodes well. And and just like anything, you know that turnover creates a lot of situations where there's a lot of catch up, You're learning new systems, getting to know players, and things like that. Well, the Cardinals. They're, they're pretty steady in there. You know, they've had the system in place, and they got Kyler coming into his second year. That's a good thing. So they will compete in that division. 
I don't have them. I got them as the third best in that division. And I that's think fair. And, and you know, I, I, will the Rams be there? I don't know. I, I mean, I don't know what's going on with that team. We, you know, we preview them. Um, they're a team that's a little bit kind of just scratch your head. Are they going to come back with a vengeance or are they going to continue? And I think it all goes to Jared Goff there, how he plays. But um, I got this, the Cardinals is a third team in that division behind, of course, Seattle and the San Francisco 49ers. Well, to expand on your point, Jeff, when you think about, once again, seven teams in each conference making the playoffs, it's not crazy to think that three teams in one division can actually get into the postseason this sure. year. So sure, it is feasible yeah. to say San Francisco, Seattle, and Arizona could very well all represent the NFC West now that yeah. we have an additional team. You do. You got that one extra team, and it could come out of the West. You never know. Um I mean, it's got to come somewhere, right? I mean, as long as these teams don't beat up on each other, um, you know, or it, it's very possible. Well, well here, here's the thing, Jeff. They could beat up on each other, but then they could all do great outside, outside of the division. Of yeah, Think about so. that. Yeah, three, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I guess so. And the other thing, too, that I, I didn't get to ask Darren this, but I was looking at the, at the Cardinals' home record. They are a really good football team at home. They play well at home um, inside that dome. And, you know, with the exception to a little bit last year, they were down. But, you know, over the last five or six years, they've, or four or five years at least, they've played well at home. So that's what you got to do. You want to win all your games at home and split on the road. That's the formula everybody likes to hear. Is it that easy? No. But that's kind of your goal. You set that in there. And, you know, who knows what happened this year? Will there be 16 games? Will there be 12 games, 14? Who knows? I mean, this is so fluid right now. You never know what's happening. It's day to day. Fluid is a very appropriate term, but just to bring your point back to the Giants and looking at some of those West Coast teams that may do very well at home, Giants are going to be tested in terms of the travel department this season, Mm, Jeff, especially because they are playing the NFC West. I mean, think about this. They're traveling to the Rams early in the season, week four, who you just brought up, Mm -hmm. and then in the second half of the season, you're going to have a trip to Seattle. Mm -hmm. So you're going to be tested cross-country here and there, and then there's a stretch where Throughout the course of the first few weeks of the season, the first five games to be exact, they're going to have three road trips. So how the Giants perform, to your point, on the road, I think is going to tell an awful lot in terms of setting the tone in the early stages of the season. Yeah, and you look at those games that are on the road, Lance, they're at the Bears, at the Rams, at the Cowboys. That's your first three out of the first five games that you had mentioned. Those are the ones that are on the road. So those are not easy games to play in, not easy places to play in. I think the Ram game is going to be a little bit odd because, you know, that's that's a whole West Coast trip. Um, it's a long ways away. There isn't. I mean, it's a different stadium. It's just it's a lot of a lot of different stuff going on there. You know, in Chicago. There's veterans that have played there before. Dallas, of course, is always. You know, the Giants are always. They They're used to playing there. Well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah, I mean, to your point, I think it, it's important to you know do well on the road and do as be- the best you can at home. I mean, you got to win all your home games. I mean. The Cardinals, you got the Browns at home this year, the Bucks, and the 49ers. Those are your home games outside of, and the Steelers outside the division. Um, not an easy task when you talk about those teams right there. I mean, listen, the Buccaneers with Brady instantly go to the top of the list. That's going to be a hard one. Um, but, you know, we'll see what happens. I'm excited. I mean, listen, it, I think everybody's excited for the season, but when it's going to happen, eh, you know, so – this is really weird. It's a, it's just a strange time because, you know, you and I both we we're, we're usually getting geared up for everything. We're usually I mean training camp is a couple weeks away and 
we're gearing up for that and the stands are going up in the parking lot over and at giant stadium for training camp it's just it's just a whole different flavor here hard to get used to much different feel yeah and as you mentioned still so many unanswered questions and that brings me actually to some subjects that paul and i discussed on yesterday's program jeff Mm -hmm. but want to get your perspective as somebody who obviously has experienced the fluidity of roster size and so forth there are two items that could very well impact the prep mode for the upcoming season one is that the preseason we've heard is going to go from four to two but the nflpa right now is pushing for no preseason games because they just want to have a long ramp up to the start of the regular season and there's a lot of chatter that there's not going to be a 90-man roster in training camp it's Mm -hmm. going to go to anywhere maybe from 75 to 80 so Mm -hmm. you know when you think about those changes no preseason games the guys on the back end of the roster not going to have any opportunities to showcase their skill set in a game scenario. It'll all be based on practice. And then in terms of roster size, Jeff, it's all about competition in training camp, right? You have the extra well, bodies. Normally. You have the depth of positions. You take that away. Now, all of a sudden, how do you divvy up game reps? How do you divvy up practice reps? The entire strategy completely changes. Yeah, and unfortunately with COVID, you know, you would love to have if there was just a if this was a situation where the where there was no preseason games and you know you want to you want to practice against somebody else so you can yeah. evaluate right so it's not feasible to have another team come in here for a week you know what i'm saying so that that just that kind of shuts that down at least i think so it doesn't seem that feasible for the way things are going with quarantine and kind of get players safety and health good I can't see another team coming in here and practicing against another team, right? I just can't see that happening. Well, they've outlawed joint practices, so oh, there you go. that's I not even not an option. I did not know that. I apologize. Yeah. I should know that, um, but there you go. So that, that eliminates that. Then now all of a sudden, you say, okay, well, how are we going to evaluate these, these players that are here, whether they're 75, 70, 80, whatever you want to say? How do you evaluate them? Well, it's in practice. Well, what do they do in practice, Lance? They don't hit. They don't do anything in practice. I mean, you know what I'm saying? So... I mean, this has got to be in a disadvantage to a lot of the teams like the Giants that are new, new coaching staff, new everything. Um, you got to look at your roster pretty, pretty deeply and say, hey, listen, OK, I, I'm pretty sure these are our guys. These are our starters. And if we went down the line, I think we could probably the offense. We could definitely say, I think this is going to be your offense. You know, defense. I think there's a little bit of probably some areas where we may think about cornerback maybe linebackers here and there who's going to play depending on Conley if he comes back you know those guys but this is where if you're a young guy coming out of college even a late draft pick a seventh round sixth round guy fifth round and you don't have the ability to showcase what you can do in a game type of situation that puts you at a disadvantage plus listen the NFLPA wants as many of their players to have jobs exactly and so right now with the 90-man roster that gives you a lot of extra players times 32. Well, if they drop it down to 75, which would be like the old days. Remember when they would go from, they would go. Uh, well, they had multiple to, roster cuts. Yeah, they had They'd go from 90 to and 75 60. and then, yeah. correct, work their way to 53. So I feel like if there's not going to be any type of training, uh, excuse me, um, preseason games, then there's real, real no reason to have 90 players in camp. In fact, that, I think what you do is for from safety purposes, you don't want that many people around because you have to have social distancing. The locker room is going to have to be smaller, so you want less guys in there. So if it was me, um, I probably would sit there at 70, 75 players, unfortunately. You know? um, but I don't know what's going to happen. But you know, when you think about it, it makes sense. You do not want to have 
you know, a lot of these guys uh, exposed and the less guys that are there, the better off you are. Cause really Lance, the, the team knows 90% of their roster going into training camp. The other 10% are unknowns because of guys that come out of nowhere and make the football team or guys that get hurt and other guys make the team because of it. But 90% of the roster, they know, they know it. They know who your starters are and basically you're too deep, you know? I'm just, I guess, looking at it through the perspective, and I agree with you, Jeff. If you don't have preseason games, it does defeat the purpose of having 90 guys in camp, especially with the hurdle of the coronavirus hovering mm-hmm. over the teams. No there's question. no doubt about that. But if you put 16 guys on the practice squad this season, and there's been a lot of talk about that because they want to give teams more flexibility, yeah. I would think that would, though, be more of a reason why you'd want to see more of those guys on the back end of the roster compete because the whole goal is you want to prioritize those 16 roster spots. Yeah. All right. So you got 55 guys this year, right? They're expanding the roster by two and you're going to have 16 guys on uh, practice squad. Let's just call it that. So 55, that's 70 guys there, 70, 71 guys. So yeah, maybe, maybe you go to 80, but you know, all all 16 of those guys on your team are not going to make the practice squad. That's just not going to work. Because you're going to claim guys from other teams too. Yeah. 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 But I feel like maybe 80 is the number because now, you know, you got a chance that you just for more people to compete. And um, but I, I listen, I'm a I'm a total I'm totally for the expansion of that roster on on the practice squad because of what can happen during the week and testing and guys getting sick. You got to have replacements. You got to have guys that can move up and down that that roster on practice squad back to active squad and back, you know, back and forth without getting picked off by other teams. That's the big thing. Well, and that's why they want to expand the practice squad Mm -hmm. so that they maintain continuity. And also remember, part of the new rules is that there's going to be leeway to call guys up and down from the practice squad without having to go through waivers. I believe there's two exceptions to that. So that at least will also help the cause of most teams. This is the reason, Jeff, why I'm in favor of at least two preseason games. I think in this offseason... Going through the logistics of travel and a home game is important for coaches, executive staff members, players, because it's one thing to say, you've been in the NFL, Jeff, as somebody like you, a polished veteran, by the time you're five years in, going on the road is second nature, right? You know, okay, you get on the bus, you go to the plane, you know what happens after you get off the plane. But in an offseason like this, what is going to happen throughout the course of travel, Jeff, is going to be very different with testing, who knows what the safety protocols are going to be like at team hotels or whatever it may be. I would think, Jeff, it would be important for each team to experience a home and a road game before you get smack in the middle of the regular season. And that's why I'm hoping they realize, do you want to do this for the first time, Jeff, in week one or week two? Or would you rather say, hey, we went through it once. We had our dress rehearsal. Everybody's a lot more comfortable. Well, I I believe that that's what they want to do. But I also believe that they're so concerned about losing players before the regular season starts. And I get that, too. And so it's a double-edged sword. You're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't, right? So what is the most important of those two scenarios? And I would I would say the first one. I think it's important that you get – you want to have a, a dry run. You want to have like – basically I think that, you know, football is looking at all these sports that are getting ready to start, okay? They're going to they're gonna take a little bit out of their book and figure out what they're doing right, what they're doing wrong, and try to emphasize it into their season because baseball is going to start up here soon and we're going to see how that happens. Although there's only 25 guys or something on their roster, it's not as many, but I think there's still some sort of significance in looking at what they're doing and what they're not doing to help 
the NFL, what they're going to do. I, I just feel like, you know, there's going to be a breaking in period. There's going to be COVID testing when the players get back for three or four days. They're going to have to go through that testing period. And same thing with everybody in the building. And, um, you know, I know that they're, they're, t- they're, they're talking about doing things over at the stadium and separating players because there's more room. And just, so it's just so much logistics that are going into this. You just hope it can get started. You know? <laughs> I mean, there's talk about checking the box. Well, there's a lot of boxes to check here. I mean, this is like, you know, go down, there's 150 boxes where there's normally maybe 10. Crazy. Well, and the other thing is, as you just laid out, and I talked about this with Paul yesterday, Jeff, you have a conversation amongst your front office staff, topics come up, and then you realize there's three to four more things that come up in every subject that you may not have thought about. So more questions yeah. start to emerge essentially by the day. And we only know, like, for instance, that's a good point because – we have no idea on the medical side of this. We have no idea on the facilities manager over at the at the Giants. What what is their what's their job going to be like? Cleaning, all this stuff that goes yeah. in. Aside from just the X's and O's and wanting to get in the building and get get started with football, there's so much auxiliary stuff that is is included in this stuff that you just it, it's it's mind boggling, and it just creates so much more work for everybody because you have to, you know, um, and I feel like. There's going to be some guys that get tested positive. There's, it's just going to happen, right? So you just got to make sure that the environment is the way it's most safe for the players, and that's what the NFLPA is doing right now. And they're arguing about no preseason games. They're arguing about a lot of stuff um, behind behind the scenes here, and nobody really knows what's going on. But sooner or later, they're going to have to come out because the 28th is the date, right? And it's and around the corner. Comes, yeah, yeah, less than a it's month right away. right around the corner. So. You interestingly brought up the use of the stadium, and I just want to expand on that because it got me thinking, and maybe every team doesn't have this luxury, unlike the Giants, because the Giants are right next to their stadium. But I guess, Jeff, can you see then it being feasible that for the Giants' sake, they could very well take, I guess, parts of their team and bring the guys over to the stadium to work out just so maybe everybody's not on the field at the same time too, if I guess they wanted to go that route. Well, I think the biggest thing when you have that big of an area over at the stadium, it's all about social distancing, right? They have they have multiple locker rooms over there, so yeah. you could actually put the offense in one and the defense in the other, and be and be able to have a six foot clearance between lockers. Um, there's a, a tremendous amount of space for eating, where the facilities there's not. Um, you know, it's a big space, but that's when you know it's big enough to put everybody in there when they can sit next to each other. But, you know, you have like something like the Coaches Club or the Lexus Club up there where you could you could literally spread out the players in the way that they eat. They're doing this at Rutgers. Um, the players eat in the stadium because there's so much room to Makes spread sense. out. Um, and then as far as like meetings, you can set up meetings over there. You can set up meetings outdoors. Think about that. You could the stadium. You could have meetings out in the cause, you know, like in the breezeways. That way you wouldn't have to. There's all kinds of space over there. So. You know, and the same thing with the weight room. I mean, the weight room in the Giants facility is large, but when you've got that many people in that, that it's not as large as you think. So you're going to have to have maybe 20 people in there, 15 people at a time and rotate your workouts. You might have to move the weight room too. move it over there, move everything over there and just make, make sure it's spread out. But yeah, they're, they're as far as the luxury Lance, that's, they have a great luxury to do that. 
You know? Because not every team, Jeff, my point is, is right in the vicinity of their stadium. Yeah, now, granted, teams could relocate to their home stadiums, assuming those home stadiums are accessible. But for the Giants, you pack things up in a car, you drive across the parking lot, Jeff, and you're at the stadium. Most That's teams right. don't have that type of convenience. So, you know, the more and more I'm thinking about it, and I haven't really given this much thought, but based on you throwing this out and using Rutgers as a comparison— I wonder whether or not the Giants are going to look to fully take advantage of MetLife Stadium because, let's face it, Jeff, unless something drastically changes in our country, I highly doubt MetLife Stadium is going to be hosting large gatherings or events (laughs) anytime soon on a consistent basis. So it's not as if they would stand in the way of the Giants and say, hey, guys, you can't utilize the stadium now. Yeah, because, I mean, that's just further the point. As long as there's not going to be anybody going over there, they can stay there as long as they want. Exactly. Right? You know, and the other thing is, is that I doubt that they're going to practice at the facility. Say, say that they move everything over to um, to this Giants, to the stadium. They still have practice fields big enough over there at the facility. They can just walk over or bus over um, and practice there and then go back over to the stadium. You know, and then leave all the staff and leave everybody else to, you know, that run the building, leave them at the building, non-football people. Everybody could work out over there, you know, or not work out, but work. So it's just a matter of keeping these players by themselves away from other people. That's the biggest thing. Well, and that makes 100% sense. I like your thinking, Jeff, where you keep non-essential staff at the facility. That was the word. And then this way you move the team people over to the stadium and then everyone really can work, but the likelihood of them interacting with one another is going to be even more limited. So you just wonder if the team will go down that road, and I think every team is at least having to think outside the box, to your point. Lance Meadow, Jeff Fiegel's with you here on Tuesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live, recapping what's going across the NFL right now, and that brings us to some major news. And Patrick Mahomes, something tells me, Jeff, he is all smiles this morning because he is a very wealthy man as he has pretty much shattered just about every NFL contract known to man. The richest contract in sports history Patrick Mahomes right now is holding on to, and he and the Chiefs agreed to a 10-year extension. It's reportedly worth up to $503 million. Yes, $503 million. There is $477 million in it in guarantee mechanisms. We may need an entire show to explain what a guarantee mechanism is, but let's start first with the fact that, Jeff, I guess I'm not surprised by the money or the finances. I think everybody assumed Mahomes was going to shatter the record. Mahomes was going to set the new bar. I guess I was a little surprised with the length of the contract, Jeff, because you don't see players sign 10-year extensions, especially based on the fact that the salary cap goes up and down and there's so much unknown four or five years down the road. Yeah, but what did you call that? What's the new mechanisms? Guarantee right? mechanisms, yeah. it's called. And I, I read, read briefly kind of what that – that's a made-up name, by the way. I don't think it's something <laughs> that we've heard before. No, I can't say I have. And what it was – I think Adam Schefter was, was kind of laying out because he was the same way. Everybody's like, what is this mechanism, uh, you know, whatever it is, guarantee – it's basically them saying, you know, this is why it's a 10-year deal. You know, they have the, the right to net, like down the line to be able to say, all right, do we want to pay you this money this year? And there's a guaranteed mechanism there. We, have, we can do it or we don't want to do it. But I, listen, I don't think he'll play out the 10 years. Neither I mean, do I. That, it's a long time. Yeah. So it's actually a, it's a laughable contract. You know, I don't know. Whatever the guarantees are in there. 
um, like real guarantees. Like I don't know, um, but listen, the guy, the guy is gonna be. He is already an amazing player, and just goes to show you that how much money is being poured into sports these days. And what I did, what I did like from a player's perspective now, is that 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 contract wasn't tied into any salary cap numbers. Like you know, like next year if the cap goes down because of COVID. You know what I'm saying? So, but that's a lot of money to be tied up one guy. I was looking at the guarantees and things like, you know, how much he's getting for a workout. Like when you're making that type of money, do you think two and a half million dollars workout bonus really matters? <laughs> you know <laughs> no, something saying? tells me it doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't really, right? But um, listen, good for him. Good for him. And you know, it just goes to show you how, you know, some teams will find ways to take care of their players, and that's that's certainly one way to do it, right there. Absolutely. Well, you brought up a few good points that I want to expand on. Number one, he hasn't even turned 25 years old. So kudos to the Chiefs, Jeff, to your point, locking up and investing in clearly somebody that has an unbelievable resume thus far in a very short sample size, has already won league MVP, Super Bowl MVP. We know his talents. We don't need to describe that, but they're taking care of business. They're tying up money in a player who has already given them a great return. And that makes sense, especially when you find a guy at the quarterback position. But you hit on an interesting point. There was a lot of speculation when the initial reports came out that Mahomes was going to agree to a deal that was tied to a salary cap percentage each year so that he would sign a 10-year deal, for example, but the money would be based on what the cap was each year, and let's say he would get 20% of the cap or 22% of the cap and so forth. And the more and more I was thinking about that, Jeff, because there's been a lot of conversations, is that going to be the future of NFL contracts for at least certain positions, such as the quarterback position? And since you've been around the league so long and understands the ins and outs of money, I'm very curious your perspective. The reason why I don't see this becoming a trend at all is I would think, Jeff, most executives would say, even though it may seem like a nice idea because it's sort of in line with the current economic circumstances of the league and what we were talking about earlier, for all we know, the salary cap could go down next year. Let's face it. If there is lost revenue this season, that's not a stretch at all. So this way NFL teams would be saying, okay, at least our contracts are going to be in comparison, in level with the current economic circumstances. But getting back to the larger point about salary cap percentage being worked into contracts, Jeff, I think most executives would tell you, in order to have a good grasp of our cap, I need to know a specific number of what I have allotted for that player. And if you substitute that with a percentage, you're adding more of the unknown into managing the cap. So I don't think a lot of front office executives would like to structure contracts like that. Yeah, I, I agree with you because it makes it very difficult because of the up and downness, if you will, of yeah. the cap. And and listen, I don't want to go in next year and all of a sudden thinking that I got this type of money and all of a sudden the cap's down and now I can't sign, you know, one or two of the free agents that I wanted to because I don't have any money. So yeah, I mean, it, it really, really is an important job as your capologist, if you will, a guy that has to understand what's going on in and outs of the the business with caps and understanding how the logistics of this whole deals are going to work. I'm sure that guy was in the meetings, the guy that runs the cap. I'm sure he was sitting. There I going, would hope so. <laughs> um, what are we doing here? <laughs> uh, yeah, you just sit back and figure out how it works. Our man Mahomes here is going to get paid a half a billion dollars today. So figure it out. <laughs> yes. And compute the numbers that get back to us. But you need somebody like that in the room because as soon as you start going off the cliff with ideas like that, Jeff, you want the captologist to come over and say, 
guys, hold on. Let's come back to reality here, okay? This is not necessarily something that would work out well. But Mahomes is also the latest example of, Jeff, and I say this all the time, every franchise quarterback gets paid. You're never going to wiggle out of that, Jeff. I think everybody's looking for the bargain where you get the guy on the cheap. Every team realizes once the rookie deal nears expiration, you're going to pay the quarterback. And the good, stable teams, Jeff, as I always say this, they don't get worried about paying the quarterback because they know if you draft well and you manage the rest of your cap by making good, smart investments in free agency, you are still going to field a competitive team. And I want to give you a great example, Jeff, because I was looking at average annual salary, and Mahomes is clearly going to go to number one on the list. Russell Wilson is going to fall to number two in terms of average annual salary. The Seahawks gave him his first extension because he actually signed the second extension in 2019. So 2015, right before training camp, the rookie deal is nearing an end. They give him his extension. And the Seahawks have had to sacrifice, Jeff, over the years. The Legion of Boom, right? That broke up. Correct? They've sacrificed some defensive players. But here's how Seattle has fared since 2015. That's a span of five seasons, Jeff. They've made the playoffs four of those five years, and they have had a winning record all five of those seasons, four of which they've reached at least 10 wins. So for people to tell me, once you pay the quarterback, Jeff, it's the end of you becoming a competitive team, I completely disagree with that sentiment. I think that's the fear talking, and I think it's the fear overshadowing the NFL, but there are a lot of teams that are more than capable of balancing the budget, as I like to say, and still fielding competitive teams. So I do not want to hear you can't pay the quarterback and still be competitive in today's NFL. Well, it puts the onus on drafting well. Exactly. You know, so, and and really, you know, what's the ultimate goal for the, for your guys that you drafted? For number one, you want them to play well. Number two, you'd like to, you'd like to keep them. The retention. You get them on a second contract. That's the goal, right? I mean, how many times have we sat here and talked about how many players have gotten second contracts from the from how the Giants have drafted in the in the past. Not many. Not many. And if you can keep your guys and draft well, then you're going to have a competitive team and you can still pay your quarterback. Right? I mean, listen, they were paying they were paying Eli Manning all that money for exactly. years. So, you know, they were able to do it. Um, they got in a little bit of trouble when they spent 200 million uh, that one year and then the, <laughs> it cost them a few few years down the road, but it's so important these days because of what's happening. We don't know about football. We don't know about money. We don't know salary cap. We don't know anything in the future, which is kind of scratches your head about the timing of this Mahomes deal. It's like, wow. I mean, out of the blue and everything that's going on in the world, this guy gets this type of contract, which is a little bit strange. But, I, I mean, we knew it was going to happen, but the timing seemed a little bit weird. Yeah, I think you bring up a great point. And I did expect them to get something done because there were reports that both sides were talking. And you figured you're going to prioritize locking up Patrick Mahomes knowing that he was a first-round pick in 17, so he's entering the fourth year of his deal. You did pick up the fifth-year option, but like anything else, you still want to make sure that you compute the numbers so you know what you're dealing with to round out the roster. But I'm in agreement with you. I think given the fact that the salary cap could go down next year Mm -hmm. and you haven't seen a lot of big splashes since free agency slowed down, that the timing of this right in the heart of a global pandemic, quite interesting. But it just goes to show you when you've got confidence in a player, and I would not doubt the Chiefs' (laughs) rationale and thinking in terms of trying to lock up Patrick Mahomes, you make these exceptions.
Yeah, and I agree. That and, obviously and, and they got, and they is the direction they went. They got it done, um, and I'm sure they're excited about it. Now they don't have to worry about it. Now they just got to worry about him playing whatever he's making per year that he'll be able to get him to the promised land, you know, quite a bit. Exactly. Now they want to see a return in terms of multiple Super Bowls, even yep. though already he's got one in the bag. Lance Meadow, Jeff Fiegel's with you here on Giants.com's Big Blue Kickoff Live Tuesdays edition. Thanks so much for tuning in. So, Jeff, before we wrap up shop, let's try to answer a few questions. And sure. just a reminder, we are not live this week. We are taping all of our shows, but we want to continue to get an opportunity for you to interact with us. Giants.com slash podcast slash BBK questions. You can submit your questions. You can also send them directly to us on Twitter at Lance Meadow, one word, last name, M-E-D-O-W. He is at Jay Fiegels. And this first question comes from Carl in Texas. With all the new additions to the defense, which position do you find the strongest and how can Patrick Graham take advantage of it? Ooh. Well, I think the strongest, I got to believe, is up front. I think your D-line is your strongest and you're probably your best in depth um, rotationally, getting guys in there. How can they take advantage? I think you can take advantage of matchups and play guys in different techniques. For instance, Leonard Williams, you know, play him outside every once in a while. Put him put him inside. And I think that's kind of what you're going to see with Patrick Graham is that on a game-by-game basis, on a matchup situation, tendencies, all the things you look at when you're game planning – it's where you're going to be. So I think the defensive line is is your strength. Now I mean defensive line. I'm talking about your interior defensive line, guys. I'm you know we're talking about a three four here, um, and you know we'll see where those outside linebackers play into it. But the D line to me is the best. I think they're they're probably your. I mean when you look at the back end, not even so. There, I don't think there's a lot of, you know. And then you look at the linebackers, it's very kind of uncertain, like who's going to be there, who's going to be playing. We know Martinez will be your guy, but um, so I, I guess the defensive line. What I'm in you, complete right? agreement with you, Jeff. Okay, good. I think you hit it right on the nose because I think all of the guys that you look up front, Leonard Williams, Dalvin Tomlinson, Dexter Lawrence, all strong in stopping the run. So that's a common trait. Not necessarily unbelievable pass rushing numbers, but certainly all three have the ability to collapse the pocket from the interior and help the edge guys go to work. So I think you've got some proven substance in your front three guys there on the line, and I think you feel good that those guys could create opportunities for everybody else. You mentioned the linebackers. You have potential and upside, but you also have question marks. Fackrell, the one double-digit sack season. Lorenzo Carter, a young player. Is year three going to be his breakout year? Ryan Connolly showed flashes last year, but an extremely small sample size. O'Shane Zimenez, also small sample size. And as far as the secondary... Jeff, the secondary is young. It's not to Wait. knock them. It's just yeah. outside of James Bradbury. You're still trying to get a better idea of what you're working with there. That's right. Yep. Yep. So there you go. We just pleaded. We just basically answered our question. Yeah. So the bottom line is the defensive line is a strength. I'm sure Patrick Graham is going to lean on those guys to be the tone setters. And you just hope that clearly somebody emerges from the linebacking core, as we've talked about all offseason, in terms of being that complimentary sack guy, as well as the secondary to compliment James Bradbury. All right, let's get to question number two. Richie in Florida. My only fear with the Jason Garrett hire was if he decides to use the same playbook from his previous years with Dallas. A Dak Prescott-Ezekiel Elliott combo is very different 
from what he has now in Daniel Jones, Saquon Barkley. Jones will have seen his third playbook in as many years. He's a gifted passer and runner. Will this be a playbook based on his optimum skill set rather than on Dak Prescott's? Yeah. Yeah, that's a good question. It is a good question. And I think that Joe Judge answered that question long before um, you know, the, the playbook went into effect. And that is that we are going to – and this is, the, this is the Patriot way. Okay, and I hate to do the comparison, but I have to because Joe Judge has been around the Patriots a long time. He's been around one of the greatest coach in the history of football and how they do things. They play to the strengths of their players, and they will put them in positions to succeed. I'm sure he was told to, by Coach Judge, just as, uh, this is Jason Garrett now, I need you to work your system to this guy's advantage. Work your system to this guy's advantage. Do things that do make them do things well. We're going to put them in situations to succeed. So the answer to the question is the offense is going to be designed by the strengths and the weaknesses of the players that are there. That's game planning. Now, some teams don't do that as well as others. Some teams push and put a square peg in a round hole. I don't care if you, can, if you can't throw this out. You have to learn how to throw this out. It's part of the playbook. You need to know how to throw this. I need you to learn how to run this RPO. I need you to do this. Instead of, hey, by the way, you run this RPO pretty well. Okay? You don't throw the slant very well, so we're going to throw the out. You know what I'm saying? So that's, that's the answer to that question, in my opinion. Well, and here's the other thing, Jeff. Jason Garrett, first of all, has played the quarterback position. So I think yeah. if anybody understands how a quarterback needs to adapt and coaches need to adapt to the quarterback. It's certainly a guy that has coached the position and played the position. Number two, he also, during his time in Dallas, remember, has worked with a variety of other offensive coordinators where Garrett was still involved in the game plan. Don't get me wrong, Jeff, but he also brought in other voices to lean on, whether it be a Scott Linehan, whether it be Kellen Moore, whether it be a Bill Callahan, you know, all those guys at some point called the plays while Garrett was involved. So that's another sign of the evolution of the offense. But here's where I slightly disagree with the questioner's point, because I would argue that I think, Jeff, there are some similarities between Daniel Jones slash Saquon and Dak and Zeke. I think Dak and Daniel Jones are both mobile quarterbacks who have the opportunities to extend plays with their legs. So it's not as if Jason Garrett, Jeff, is going from a mobile quarterback to somebody who's more stagnant in the pocket. We saw what Daniel Jones could do last season. He can wiggle out of traffic. He has the ability to buy time and extend plays. So what he did with Dak from that standpoint, I think that can apply to Daniel. And Zeke was certainly a workhorse guy And I don't think you now bring in Saquon and you say, well, Saquon can't handle 20 carries a game. Saquon can absolutely handle 20-some-odd carries a game. And like Zeke, Saquon can catch the ball out of the backfield. So the more and more you actually compare the personnel groupings, I don't think, Jeff, they're on opposite ends of the spectrum. Not too much. Not too much. You know, I agree with you. I agree with you. I mean, I believe that this offense is going to run the football. Well, what does Dallas do? They run the football. Yeah. Uh, They're going to put a lot of credence in redesigning or redeveloping their offensive line. Well, the Dallas Cowboys had a great offensive line. Okay. They're going to have, they got possession receiver. I mean, it's just, it's very similar. Um, I do believe that there will be some similarities to it, but I, I, I believe what I said. I think that this, that Jason Garrett is going to be asked to put these guys in and design an offense that will be cater to the abilities the abilities of the players that are there and they are very similar to the players that are at Dallas. I mean Ezekiel Elliott and Saquon Barkley are 
two very just they're they're unbelievable running backs. They have two little bit of different skill sets, but they're both very good. Very good. There's a lot of talent that Jason Garrett has to work with. The bottom line is, Jeff, it's still going to come down to the execution of the players and whether or not they are consistently there to make plays. I think we can't lose sight of when we always talk about scheme and what could potentially play out with the scheme. I think what tends to just get overlooked is, remember, it's about two parties meeting halfway. It's what Jason Garrett and his staff brings to the table, and he's always going to have his core principles because you don't just shed them after all these years. You built the <laughs> offense around what you believe in. But at the same time, it's the players that also need to go out there and make plays for the quarterback and give Daniel Jones the time for him to survey. Just like Dak had to make plays for his guys, it's going to be no different here for Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley. Exactly. I mean, listen, I, I think the biggest thing here is that players have to understand that, you know, coaches design offenses around, you know, what they what they understand. This is what they think this philosophy. You have to find the players not only to fit the philosophy, but you, they have to buy into the philosophy that the coach is putting out there. So there's they're going to have to be asked to do things sometimes that they don't want to do. But that's just the way it is, right? And the coach, it's up to the coach to get those players to do it. And I think that if you can all fall on the same page, where you find problems is when guys just don't like, like Jay Cutler. Jay Cutler is a guy that did not want to listen to anybody about an offense. He was going to do whatever he wanted. Well, look what happened. You got that coach fired. He's out of the league. You know, it just doesn't happen. So it's important that you get good guys around you that understand it's the cause, it's the, it's the effect of the whole, everybody coming together and understanding what you have to do. And listen, I mean, everybody can have their own opinions. Daniel Jones is going to have his opinion about a play. He doesn't have to listen to every single thing that Jason Garrett says and do it. He can have his opinions about something, and, and then you guys have to look at it from, from a mature standpoint and from a coach-player perspective and say, do you feel comfortable with this? And Daniel Jones has got to be able to say, no, I don't. I don't feel comfortable with it. Well, if I'm the coach and you're the player and the player tells me that I don't feel comfortable running this play, I'm probably going to – that one's out, <laughs> you know? So we'll see what happens. Yeah, you can't be stubborn under those circumstances, do no, you? No, you have to be willing to work together with good communication. And that's, that sometimes can be very difficult because players and coaches are human beings. And players and coaches have egos. And players and coaches don't, don't think alike. And so that is where you check your ego at the door and you come in for the common cause of the team – it's all about team. What what are we going to do to help this team win? And if you don't like this play, can we make it to where you like it? Maybe it's something we change a little bit here or there, but you know, we have to have a common goal. And that's to everybody to be on the same page when we put something together. Quarterback room is very important because they are basically putting the game plan together offensively for the week. They're the ones that are working with the offensive coordinator and the head coach about putting the game plan offensively in there. And then on defense, it's, it's your linebackers and your guys like that. So it's important that they get along. It really is. So we appreciate those of you who have submitted questions. Continue to send them in. Giants.com slash podcast slash BBK questions or straight to us on Twitter at Lance Meadow. One word, last name, M-E-D-O-W. He is at Jay Fiegels. As that is going to wrap up Tuesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live, we want to thank Darren Urban once again for joining us earlier in the program to break down the Arizona Cardinals. Tomorrow we'll continue our opponent team previews as we'll look at another opponent that the Giants will go head-to-head with later on in the 2020 campaign. Jeff, always enjoy the conversation. Look Thank forward you. to do it again down the road. 
Thank you, Lance. Have a good one. You as well. That is going to wrap up Tuesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. Stay locked to Giants.com for all the latest. For Jeff Fiegels, I'm Lance Meadow. Enjoy the rest of your Tuesday. We'll speak to you tomorrow. Have a good one.